Hey, listeners, before we get started, if you're enjoying these episodes, you can actually check them out on YouTube in full video. You can just search Honest Ecommerce and you'll get pulled right to our channel. Make sure you subscribe and ring the bell for all the updates. You need to charge more so you make more revenue, but it's not about revenue, it's about profit. If your business is not profitable, your business will not survive, especially it won't survive a pandemic. Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer, and I believe running a direct-to-consumer brand does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. On this podcast, we interview founders and experts who are putting in the work and creating real results. I also share my own insights from running our top Shopify consultancy, Electric Eye. We cut the fluff in favor of facts to help you grow your e-commerce business. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, we're welcoming to the show a multi-passionate entrepreneur. He's specializing in story-based marketing for consumer product companies. He's got a passion for mastermind. And most notably, uh, he has scaled a watch company to seven figures. Welcome to the show, RT Custer. Thanks for having me, Chase. Excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited. So um, I guess let's quickly, before we dive into the history of the brand, uh, just let people know about the uniqueness about your product and like what you're actually selling. Yeah, thanks. So um, Vortic Watch Company, and it's VorticWatches.com for anyone who wants to see a picture of it, but it's basically an antique American pocket watch that we convert into a one-of-a-kind wristwatch. We don't make very many watches. We make about 400 units per year. So we sell them for about $2,500 to $10,000 a piece. Um, and everything inside is the original antique pocket watch movement or mechanism for those not familiar with watches. And everything outside is made in Fort Collins, Colorado in our workshop. So it's almost entirely, um, and some of them are completely manufactured inside the United States. Absolutely. All right. Take me back in time to where, you know, where this idea come from? What was going on? Yeah. So we, um, my business partner, Tyler and I had a bunch of crazy ideas about watches on the golf course at Penn state after school one day. Um, that was like 2011 or so we came up with a few kind of crazy ideas, pitched them to some professors, did some business plan competition stuff in college, had a lot of fun with that. And then kind of went our separate ways, you know, college life, a lot of stuff going on. Um, when we left school 2014, um, I took a job with uh, Walmart and logistics out in Colorado. Um, and, and Tyler came out to visit me and was like, Hey man, this is a really great place. I'd love to move out here. I don't really like my job in Philly. Like this isn't working out. Um, and we were like, why don't we start that watch company we were talking about? I had a great job. I could kind of like be the roof over our heads for a little while. And, um, and so that's basically what happened is we put the idea of a pocket watch an antique American pocket watch turned into a wristwatch on Kickstarter in, uh, late November of 2014. And um, the rest is history, Chase. I mean, you know, we <laughs> like a classic like Kickstarter story. We we set our goal at ten thousand. We hit like forty one thousand in thirty days. But internally, like we thought we were going to make like a million on Kickstarter, and we'd just be on yachts the rest of our life or something, right? We had these like crazy goals, and so then it just became a hustle of like, okay, well, we got minimum viable product, we got product market fit. You know, forty thousand isn't enough to start a business, but it was enough to like prove that people were interested in this product. And so we started, I started raising money and he started figuring out how to make the product. And it took us about three years to kind of figure all that stuff out. And since about 2017, 
you know, we've made and sold just everything we can, uh, very niche product, very difficult to make. Um, so low quantity. Um, but we just focused on that high quality made in America kind of thing and sold it on Shopify the whole time. Absolutely. So uh, I got a, I got a bunch of follow-up questions uh, for that <laughs> right there. So obviously Kickstarter is a great way to find product market fit. Uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that we have on the show that that's where they kind of things clicked and you know that's where they got started. But one of the follow-ups that I always like to ask is, okay, you're done with the Kickstarter. You're onto your own website now. You said it was Shopify website. Mm-hmm. How were you growing your customer base? How, what were you doing to go out there to get more sales? Yeah. So the early days, we were... We were doing a lot of events. Um, I I was trying to get into retail stores because I was told from the beginning, like, okay, watches are sold like Rolexes and Omegas, right? You have to be in a, a big jewelry store. And some of our initial investors were kind of in that world. And so I was doing a bunch of trade shows and events and and people were learning about us that way. We did, uh, we hired a PR company to to just try to get a bunch of stories about us. Um, and then a, and a lot of word of mouth, honestly, from our customers. Um, I called the first, I would say 100, maybe 150 customers. Um, when they received their watch, I got the notification. And again, like I make, you know, very low quantity. So it was, it was not meant to be a sustainable thing, but um, I talked to the first, let's say a hundred customers and 10 or so of those customers became investors after those conversations because they just fell in love with our product. And um, we had a huge, for the first three or four years in our business, um, 60% of our customers bought a second watch within 12 months. Um, And so massive repeat customer rate, um, especially in this industry. And so a lot of word of mouth, just people being really excited about this. And you know, thankfully with, with the, the prices where they are, we, we didn't have to sell, you know, more than a, a few hundred to, to keep going with a small team. Absolutely. And, and that's kind of another uh, question that I had for you is with such a high price point, did you experiment with any of the more traditional kind of growth avenues like paid media? Because what and what I, I see on the internet, and this is just my opinion, now this is in fact, but is, you know, those higher price point products are harder to make work with paid ads. Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, we tried we tried hiring an agency to do ads for us in like the 2017, 2018 realm. Um, and it was okay, but they were mostly awareness ads and I didn't feel like the agency was getting it. So in... Um, I, th- I think it was like mid to late 2018, I took that over myself and I just started messing around with Facebook ads. Um, myself and I did Facebook and Instagram um, outreach ads, basically trying to obtain email addresses. And I just owned the fact starting in about 2019, um, I joined a mastermind for the first time and somebody in the mastermind was just like, email marketing is the past, present and future. Like just get on it, man. Like, especially for a high, high ticket item like that. Um, and so I just went all in on email marketing. And so all of the ads that I was running were just obtaining emails. We did a bunch of sweepstakes and giveaways starting in 2019 and 20. 2020. Um, and our email list was probably at 2,500 people in 2018, 2019 realm. And now we're over, we're almost at 40,000 people on the email list. Um, and our open rates are insane. Um, I think, you know, like just really solid, like 
feedback from customers. I send an email every Tuesday at 12 noon um, and I have for almost three years. And so that consistency and focus on email marketing, like I found that the customer takes about four to six months between when they learn about us and when they make a purchase. And so I just own that. And so, yes, the ads we're running, we're not trying to sell anything. We're just saying, hey, sign up for our email list. I have 22 emails that you get automatically once every 10 days for over 200 days that teach you about our company. And by the time you get that last email, if you don't want a Vortic watch, you can totally unsubscribe. It's all good. <laughs> You're just not our customer. Oh my God. Um, so that's that's really the journey. And I, I wish it wouldn't have taken me you know, three years to figure out that I should focus on email marketing and then four years to build the thing. Um, but knock on wood, here we are. Um, really strong email lists, uh, strong following on social from all that. Um, and it's working out really, really well. What I want to highlight for the listeners here is you glossed over probably one of the most important things we're going to talk about this episode is this, this is the statement. This is the golden nugget, if you like that term, is if you have a high priced product, a luxury product, you need to win that trust over time and email is the way to do it. So if, if you're a listener out there and you're thinking of getting into the game or you're already in the game, you're like, I don't know how to sell these expensive bicycles or whatever. It's email is the key. And how long did you say your welcome series was? Um, so when I initially built it, there was 20 emails and they were sent every 10 days. And I did that because we also send that weekly email every Tuesday. And so I wanted people to, to hopefully not get more than one email every couple of days, you know, and try to spread it out. Um, now we, our email system is a little more robust. And so um, I think there's 22, soon to be 25 emails um, in the welcome series. And then we also have a second welcome series about a separate product we have, um, our limited edition stuff. And, um, and then we built it out. So like the first few emails are every three or four days. And then it kind of like extends the process after that. Are you doing any personalization through like uh, obtaining first party data from your customers or potential customers? So we get their name and email address when they sign up. We don't collect phone numbers and we don't text our customers currently. Um, we don't use text message marketing simply because most of our customers are of a demographic that, that would prefer an email. Um, so, you know, I've, I've played around with personalization, but I always get nervous that like, if I try to include somebody's first name and they typed it wrong, then now I'm insulting them by calling them the wrong name, you know, algorithmically. So I've just stayed away from a lot of that stuff. And I make it personal by saying all of our weekly Tuesday emails come from the company. So this, you know, the from is, is Vortic watch company and all of those, um, automated customer journey emails come from RT Custer of Vortec Watch Company and they're written in my voice in first person versus third person in our weekly emails. Um, and I found that that works really well. We get a lot of people that literally answer those automated emails thinking that it's me speaking to them, which is pretty awesome. Absolutely. And I'm sure that's a great source for inspiration for copy or stuff to add into your FAQs. All, all it's Just so much stuff is going to come out of that. 100%. Yeah. And, and the customers seem to really appreciate you know, that, that we took the time to, to document our story and tell it not just on the website, but, but in a, in a format that they can digest and, you know, not all at once. Absolutely. So looking back on building Vortic, is there like any mistakes that you made or, uh, just stuff you want to help other people watch out for? <laughs> um, too many to list in, in a short podcast. Um, biggest 
biggest learning experience that we've had um, was early on. So 2015, we were sued by the world's largest watch company, the Swatch Group, um, over a trademark. Um, and that legal battle ended in 2021. Um, we took them all the way to federal court and we defeated them. Um, but that took six figures from us and probably seven figures from them to attorneys um, fighting this crazy legal battle over the word Hamilton. Um, and it was a huge, I, I call it a learning experience because it started with, with a mistake, which was not doing enough research on like just what a trademark was. Like I, I was, I don't know. I was a kid when I started this company, like I was barely out of college. I had no idea, um, what trademarks and patents, you know, meant. Um, and so when we got the cease and desist, we were just like, okay, well, they just don't understand. Like we're taking the antique Hamilton pocket watch and turning it into a modern wristwatch. Yeah. It still says Hamilton on the face of the watch. Um, that's not because we're printing it there. It's because it just was there. Like it's a, it's an old pocket watch and wristwatch. And so, you know, if you want to learn more about that and there's, I've done a bunch of podcast interviews and, and, um, I was in entrepreneur magazine actually for the story. It was, it was kind of interesting. Um, it's called Hamilton v. Vortic. Um, and that case has now, it's now being cited in major lawsuits, um, all over the country because basically we defended the art of upcycling or turning something that, you know, basically trash to treasure, you know, is what we do. I'm going to go look that up. That's highly fascinating to me. And the whole time you were talking, I like knew the angle it was probably going to end up, but I was just, that's, I'm going to look that up. So now that's nerd <laughs> me coming out, not host me. Yeah. And anyone that's interested in, in legal stuff and, and like, like I said, huge learning experience. Now I know more about trademark law than I think any entrepreneur should it should ever know unless you're an attorney, obviously. Um, so it's it's unfortunate um, that it took years and and that much money to have what I usually refer to as just a really difficult conversation between me and the CEO of a massive conglomerate in Switzerland. Um, and I I offered coffee with those individuals to try to figure it out, and and unfortunately, you know, we were met with lawsuits, but. Um, we defended our American dream. Um, we still have it. And we, you know, fortunately enough, people told our story. I was on a bunch of podcasts throughout the whole thing talking about it. Um, I got interviewed on national TV twice. Um, we got more press than we could count um, just from, you know, other American entrepreneurs standing up and saying like, hey, these, these kids are just trying to make some watches, guys. Like, come on. <laughs> um, so... That was that was a huge. I, I wouldn't say the the mistake there is 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 just the unknown. Like you don't know what you don't know, um, and I don't know how I would have how I would have solved that without having experiences like that and just getting the cease and desist, right? Um, but now I'm implementing that every time we have an idea for a new brand or a new product, I immediately look up the trademark, see if we can own it, and then start working on it. Just because I I'm trying to look ahead. <laughs> Something that was kind of brought up in the pre-show is you're a huge fan of Donald Miller's building a story brand. Um, so for the uninitiated, like why is that important? Why should everyone go out and stop this podcast and listen to the audiobook or, or actually pick it up and read it? Yeah, for sure. So um, right around the time we started running Facebook ads to try to get email addresses and grow our email lists, um, my business partner Tyler and I read Building a Story Brand and Start With Why. 
Um, and they were recommendations, I think from, you know, either a mastermind I was in or a coach or a friend, I can't remember exactly. Um, but we just went head first into building a story brand specifically and, and then start with why some of the concepts there were really helpful. If you read those two kind of at the same time. Um, and if you look at vorticwatches.com and you just scroll down the homepage, it's still the way I built it when I read those books. And it literally says, what we do, how we do it, why we do it, and how to buy it. It says those exact words on the homepage. So there's no confusion and most of it's above the fold is what they say, right? So you don't have to go past the homepage to know what we do and how to buy it and why we do it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that that helped a lot initially, just like clarifying our, clarifying what we do, because it is confusing. You know, we take an old a hundred year old pocket watch and turn it into wristwatch. Um, that's very different in the watch industry. There's a lot of subsequent questions that, that customers have. And so then we applied that storytelling and, you know, the, the concept of like, I'm the guide as the company and the, the customer, the product is the hero and the, you know, the problem we're solving is, is the villain. And that's the problem in, in our industry is just, you want a cool watch sometimes. Um, but, uh, there's not as much like evil or problem we're solving, um, in the luxury space. But, um, we applied those storytelling concepts to all of the emails that we wrote for those automated journeys. And, um, you know, that's why people answer the emails because we're telling a story. We're not trying to sell anything. Absolutely. Let's fast forward now in into basically the pandemic, right? That happened a few years back. And you had mentioned something in the pre-show that I thought was super interesting, which was you didn't think that the watch company was going to do as well. Uh, and you pivoted very hard. Um, the watch company still exists, but talk about like what you did during the pandemic um, and kind of how you came up with that idea and how that worked out. Yeah. So March of like February, March of 2020 was, um, the hardest time of my life. Um, February 19th of 2020, I was sitting in a federal courtroom in Manhattan defending Vortec watch company against the Swatch group, um, in the final volley of this lawsuit, which fast forward to today we won, but obviously it was one of the most stressful times of my life. Um, I got on a train from Manhattan, uh, to Lancaster, Pennsylvania to see my mom for the last time. She passed away of cancer, um, in mid March of 2020. Um, and on the plane from Pennsylvania back to Colorado, I got COVID before they knew it was COVID. Cause this was like late February, 2020. And I got it really, really bad. Um, because I, I think I was just so stressed. I wasn't eating well. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was probably the most vulnerable to sickness I've ever been in my life with that level of stress. And, um, and so all that said, like I was going into the pandemic with all these bad things happening, all this stress and, um, you know, the pandemic hits and, and people start freaking out. And I was just, I started freaking out too. I was just like, why would you buy a $3,000 wristwatch that does absolutely nothing except tell time. And only if you wind it, it's a hundred years old, you have to manually wind it. Like this is the ultimate niche luxury thing. Why would somebody buy that on the internet during a global pandemic? And to, in my mind, to try to protect the company um, and my family, I have two little kids. 
um, I, I pivoted and I did what, what I always, what I thought my mom would want me to do. Cause she and my dad both, um, worked in advertising their whole lives. Um, and I grew up around advertising. I love it. I love story-based marketing. I love that stuff. And I was just like, okay, a bunch of people are pivoting and they're moving their businesses online. If I need to make money in a pinch, I can help people do this. I can help people write automated email journeys. I can help people do what I did for Vortic. And if Vortic fails, then I'll, I'll, I'll still be able to pay, pay my bills. Um, and so I started an advertising agency <laughs> and the agency was doing work for Vortic and then some of my friends and, um, I could start paying myself from that. We had a bunch of crazy ideas, a lot of fun stuff, um, mostly in the Shopify world. And, um, and, and fast forward to today, the watch company, we've never sold more watches than in 2020 and 2021 than ever. Like those, le those two years were the best two years ever. I, it still sometimes doesn't make sense to me why people are buying luxury wristwatches online during a pandemic, but it's awesome. Um, and we have an agency now. I sold half the agency to a friend um, because, you know, running two businesses is hard. So I have two business partners. Um, and now I have a seven figure wristwatch company and a seven figure advertising agency. And my job is business development, um, which is awesome. I just get to talk to people like you, Chase, and tell these stories and hopefully it's helpful to other people. And maybe I can help someone with either a watch or some advertising related services. <laughs> well, there is one thing, you know, RT, you lied to me just now. You don't just have two businesses. Let's just let's just keep it going, man. What's the, what's the other thing you're doing? <laughs> okay, well, I look at them technically. So technically, I have two main businesses because the the okay, what okay. you're what you're referencing um, is a mastermind. So um, a few months ago, um, and the the pandemic, unfortunately. I mean, it, it eradicated the idea uh, for a little while of in-person events and especially in-person masterminds. And one of my friends was running a, a mastermind called Fast Foundations. And he just didn't want to do it anymore because of all like you, you had to pivot online and he just didn't want to do that. And so we purchased this, my business partner in, in uh, Carter and Custer Agency and I, we purchase this mastermind called fast foundations and it's basically a 50 person mastermind all in person so we brought it back in person just more recently uh here in 2022 and we do two in-person events across five months and then an awesome online community in between and that's masterminds have just been really close to my heart so when when we had this opportunity to buy one and kind of use it as business development for our agency while also obviously you know helping entry-level entrepreneurs that's what it's for is fast foundations is for people with five hundred thousand in revenue or less um you know just getting started um and we realized like, okay, well, this is a great way to help people um, that maybe can't afford our agency services quite yet, um, but we can still help them and we can, you know, make some money at the same time. And so I look at it as basically a marketing funnel um, that is profitable um, and also people first and just makes you feel good to like give back and help people in a mastermind setting. So you're right. I, those are, those are my, my three, I guess focuses um, and the way that I I stay focused is that I do the same thing for all the things that I do. It's business development. It's having conversations and it's saying like, you know, sometimes I'm talking about watches. Sometimes I'm talking about advertising agency services, and sometimes I'm talking about like 
just promoting the fact that you should be in a mastermind, whether you choose Fast Foundations Mastermind or a different one. I can't say how much masterminds have helped me um, and helped me have all the ideas we just talked about in this episode so far. Um, I would say most of them came from a mastermind or a coach of some kind. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not special. <laughs> I just took some, some cool ideas I had randomly in a room full of other people and implemented them. I couldn't agree more that masterminds are life-changing. I think that the, some of the best, it was the series of events that changed my life was I had a, someone beat like, he's now, I would say a mentor and a friend, but like back then he didn't know what he was saying to me. It was really impactful, but it was basically he flipped the script in the way I was wired to think about things from like, a. uh, from like a, a zero sum mindset to an abundance mindset. Mm. So like once I went into that mentality and then like realized that my competition is like probably the best people I can ever interact with, uh, my my life changed. Yeah, it's it's huge. And like, I mean, little ideas like, I mean, the the person that sold us the, the mastermind, his name's Chris Harder. Um, and he, he ran Fast Foundations for a while. And now he just does like very high-end masterminds. Um, and he told me ever since he's a watch collector himself. And ever since I met him, he's just like, RT, you're not charging enough. You need to double or triple your prices for these Vortec watches. Like this is, you do, you make the coolest watches. This is way cooler than my $50,000 Rolex. And you're charging like how much? 1500? Like, what are you doing? And, um, I, you know, it, it took him and like seven other people, what do they say? You have to hear something seven times to really like grasp it, to, yeah. to finally start charging what I'm worth, what we're worth, what these watches are worth. And now, yeah, the average purchase price last year for a Vortec watch was 3,800. And we didn't just arbitrarily, you know, increase the price. We increased our quality, um, drastically to, to, you know, uh, make up for it. Um, and we just own the fact that we do something very abnormal and really cool and super niche and you have to pay accordingly. And, um, uh, lots of great feedback, um, from, from our true customers, um, about that. And I think that, that passes on to a lot of different industries and a lot of different things. Like you have to charge what you're worth, um, to make your business sustainable. Um, and that's the, that's what really clicked for me is when people just told me to charge more, I was just like, ah, I don't know. But when people really walked me through why it's like, okay, you need to charge more. So you make more revenue, but it's not about revenue. It's about profit. If your business is not profitable, your business will not survive, especially it won't survive a pandemic. And our business was extremely profitable during the pandemic because I took some of that advice from a mastermind in like 2018, 2019. <laughs> so knock on wood, I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep going to those masterminds because I keep getting those little, like you said, golden nuggets. Change the game, man. It's, it's awesome. Oh, dude, it's the, it is the most hilarious throwaway nonsense lines that I hear in some of these conversations during our masterminds. And I'm like, wait, stop, 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 stop. What? You, how did that work? It was just that simple? I've been going yeah. around in circles for this for six months. <laughs> and, and sometimes, sometimes you need validation. Yeah. Sometimes you need permission. You know, um, sometimes you need motivation. Accountability. And sometimes you just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Accountability. Um, and, and the other times, honestly, Chase, like I've joined masterminds to literally buy friends. Um, and people don't admit that. And I will admit it a hundred times over. There are not, I live in Fort Collins, Colorado. It's a beautiful place, but it's a small town. There's a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of small business owners here. Most of them think small. 
I want to sell one of these companies that I have for hundreds of millions of dollars someday. I'm thinking huge. So I need to surround myself with people that think like me. Otherwise, everyone else is going to hold me back. And so joining a mastermind puts you in the room with people that think like you and that can become your friends and accountability partners and just other people doing similar stuff that just get it, you know? Um, so anyway, that's, that's why we bought Fast Foundations because not only is it a good kind of funnel into our agency um, and a great give back and a feel good, um, but I just... If, if you were to say, like, what's the one thing in business that you believe the most in? Um, I think a few years ago, I would have said email marketing because that thing is just working and it's printing money yeah. for us, you know. But now it's it's masterminds like it just they don't all work. Um, but if you find the right one, you find the right group, just like anything, you know, the investment pays off. Absolutely. Artie, this has been a amazing interview. Uh, and I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Um, if people are curious and they want to learn more about what you're doing in your life, where should they go? Yeah. So um, for watches, vorticwatches.com. It's V as in Victor, O-R-T-I-C, watches. And for everything else and just catching up or, or um, if you want to connect personally, I'm R-T Custer, like Robert Thomas Custer on Instagram and LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Chase. Thanks for having me. All right. I can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge and journey with us. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our own business. You can find all the links in the show notes. Make sure you head over to honestecommerce.co to check out all of the other amazing content that we have. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review. And obviously, if you're thinking about growing your business, check out our agency at electriceye.io. Until next time.